Welcome to the 3D Parent Podcast. My name is Bevan Walters, your host and founder of The 3D Parent. I'm a certified parent coach and have spent the last decade living my calling in life, helping parents navigate the tough stuff like tantrums, sibling conflict, screen time overload, and managing the transition into the teenage years. My purpose is to provide you with the tools you need as a parent to lead with dignity, direction, and deep connection in your family relationships. My goal in creating the 3D Parent Podcast is to inform, empower, and increase confidence in parents so they can trust their instincts and make the best decisions possible for their families. For these reasons, I've rated this podcast FPEO for parents' ears only. Parenting is challenging, but you don't have to do it alone. Welcome back to another episode of the 3D Parent Podcast. I am recording right now in my bedroom. My whole family is home. My husband is keeping my kids in the basement, watching a movie. Hopefully there won't be interruptions. Still kind of trying to adjust to our current new normal here in Washington State. I'm recording currently on Wednesday May 6th, and our stay-at-home orders have now extended to the end of May, so hopefully things will start um, getting somewhat back to normal, and we'll continue to see some improvements in our numbers from the COVID-19 pandemic, and um, we'll start to kind of regain some of the life that we had before, still trying to stay cautious and keep up with all of the good, you know, good hygiene and social distancing and all these things we've learned. And all of you are adapting at home with your families, and I am as well. It's been a really challenging time with some nice silver linings, of course, as I'm sure as you're experiencing as well. But we're all trying to navigate this, you know, having families home. If we are fortunate to be able to go on working from home, those of you who are still working in the front lines or essential workers, boy, does my heart go out to you. It's really challenging with both my husband and I working from home with our four children, but I'm so grateful to have another set of hands so we can continue to tag in, tag out from time to time as needed as one of us is needing to um, work. I'm doing the majority of the homeschooling and child supervision, but uh, my husband's doing an awesome job kind of relieving me as needed. But anyway, today my podcast is centered around some questions I've received from 3D Parent podcast listeners. And I chose three questions today that kind of span a range of ages and also some different topics some more specific to this period of time that we're in and others a little bit more general. So the first question comes from Erin and she writes, how do you navigate grief when a loved one dies that you weren't able to see or visit because of the stay safe at home orders? I'm going to approach this from the perspective of how you navigate addressing grief in your children. Of course, grief is universal and adults have to process their grief, particularly in a situation like this listener has described, if there's been the loss of a loved one, normally when we know that we're, someone is um, going to pass away, if we have some forewarning, a lot of people like to try and visit, um, say their final goodbyes, or even be there as their loved one passes on. And right now that's not possible. 
So how do you make sense of this? How do you help your child navigate this really challenging time and make sense without having the ability to actually go and see a, a loved one who is about to pass away? So the first thing I want to say is that it's really important to normalize the experience of grief. Grief is really tricky, and anyone who's experienced a tremendous loss um, in their life, whether it be the loss of a loved one or grief that follows maybe the end of a relationship, like a divorce, or something like that, something has caused a tremendous loss in your life. You go through these periods of kind of feeling nothing to waves of sadness that can kind of come over you from nowhere. So helping make sense and normalize the experience of grief for your child is really, really important. Sometimes children feel really troubled when they don't feel sad or don't cry after the loss of a loved one. A lot of times it takes people a period of time to be able to experience that sadness. And a lot of children in particular feel very uncomfortable basically processing something that is so sad, particularly in a situation like you've described, Aaron, where maybe they were not able to see and say goodbye and really make sense of the loss of a loved one. So helping, like I said, make sense of the experience of grief and normalizing it's okay if right now you don't really feel anything. It's okay if right now you, you know you should be feeling sad, but you're not feeling sad, that that's part of grief too. Sometimes your brain kind of giving your, yourself time to kind of make space for the sadness to creep in. And it will creep in sometimes when you're not expecting it. Sometimes days or months or even years after the loss of, loss of a loved one, sometimes a tr memory will be triggered. You'll see something and it will remind you of someone who's passed away and you'll feel sadness then. Maybe right now you're not feeling that sadness and that's okay. That's a normal part of grief. And on the other side, if your child is feeling very sad, making time and space for those feelings of sadness to actually go through it, not try to make it better, not trying to soften um, the experience of sadness for your child, but really embracing them, becoming very empathetic in tone and helping them move through the experience when they're actually feeling the feeling of sadness. That's very healthy. Don't try and distract your children from those feelings. Another thing that can be really helpful is to remind your child that we're always connected to the ones we love, that we're always connected. That's the beauty of building a deep and strong attachment in your relationships with your children. They transcend death even, these strong connections and attachments. So it can be really helpful to remind your child that that connection that you feel with a loved one is still there and you are still connected to them. I have a really favorite children's book that if your child is on the younger side, maybe kind of middle elementary age and younger, all the way down to probably around age two when they can understand picture books, I recommend um, reading the book, uh, The Invisible String by Patrice Karst. This is one of my very favorite books for any occasion, just to kind of help children recognize the um, beauty of love and attachment and connection that we all share with our loved ones, that we're all connected. In this book, it's described as being connected through an invisible string. And it's a lovely story where it's a mother talking to two of her children and explaining the concept of the invisible string. And I'm going to read you a little quote from the book right here. And it says, you do not need to see the invisible string. People who love each other are always connected by a very special string made of love. And the child asks, but if you can't see it, 
How do you know it's there? asked Liza. Even though you can't see it with your eyes, you can feel it with your heart and know that you're always connected to everyone you love. And so then the story progresses and the children start asking about all the people in their lives, all their friends and loved ones that they don't see on a regular basis. Are they still connected? And the mother goes on to say, yes, even then, yes, you're still connected to those people. And later on in the book, one of the children asks the following. Then Jeremy quietly asked, can my string reach all the way to Uncle Brian in heaven? Yes, even there. So whether or not your family has a religious tradition that includes heaven or talk of an afterlife, even if that is not relevant to you and your family and your religious beliefs, you can still use this book to describe how we're all connected to those even once they've passed on and that that connection that you feel is still there. And on that note, it can be really helpful to do something with your child to help them kind of acknowledge that connection and tell them that even if someone's passed away, you can still talk to them. It might even feel like you're still close to them. And that's something a lot of people will find themselves doing if they felt really connected with a loved one. I myself have done that. I was very close with my grandmother, who I called Gaga. And still to this day, there's times when I feel her presence, or I'll talk to her, or I'll wish that I could share something with her. And I'll, you know, inside my head or if I'm alone in the car and no one around to think I'm crazy, I'll sometimes say something out loud um, to my beloved grandmother who passed away. So that's something you can encourage your children to do. Or it might be helpful to kind of process to have your child write a letter to their loved one who's passed away and to kind of write in this letter all the things that they might have said to them had they had the opportunity to say a final goodbye if they were having different circumstances. So that's kind of my little bits of ways to kind of help your child navigate grief, normalize it, explain kind of how grief works, and then find ways of helping your child still tap into that connection that they have with a loved one who's passed on. My next question comes from a listener, Samantha. I would love to have you focus on teen connection and mental health at this time. Now, I'm sure that Samantha is referring to connecting with our teens and also our teens' mental health during this really unusual time, during the stay home and um, stay safe orders. So I'm going to go into a little bit of some ideas that I talked about on my podcast in terms of how to address counter will with our teens and some of the suggestions that I gave in terms of connecting with your teen in ways when the connection maybe doesn't feel as strong or you're trying to find ways to connect with your teen on a new level now that they have maybe kind of transitioned out of early childhood and mid-childhood now into adolescence. So I would encourage you to, at all times of the relationships, including when your child becomes a teenager, to still always focus on the relationship. Remember that the relationship is the most important aspect of anything you have to do with your child. So don't let school, don't let chores, don't let frustrating behaviors get become more important than your relationship with your child. Don't let the frustration that might be brought on by your child's frustrating behaviors become bigger or more important than your relationship with your teen. You need to find ways to continue to nurture your teen, 
go into them. They've been in their room for a period of time. Oh, I made you your favorite snack. I thought maybe you were getting thirsty while you've been doing your um, remote learning. Here I thought of making you a smoothie to take care of you. Find ways to nurture a child in ways that they'll be receptive. I found that food can be really, really a great connector in a way that your child will very willingly receive your nurturing. I also encourage you to find ways to connect with your teen in ways that maybe you found connections with them when they were younger. Maybe you were connecting with your child a lot through play, through reading stories together, maybe kind of broach the subject, hey, would it be fun to kind of read a book together again? Find ways to engage your child's memories of their childhood. Kids love looking at pictures of themselves when they were little, when they were babies, when they're cute and adorable. That can be really bonding. So telling stories about them when they were young, looking at pictures, those are great ways to kind of get that bond, that connection flowing again if it has been a little bit stalled out. Um, a lot of teens, uh, now that they're home a lot, have tended to isolate themselves quite a bit. And a lot of parents, including myself, find that sometimes alarming to have our child be inside their rooms um, by themselves a lot. Remember that the period of adolescence is you can very easily draw an analogy to a butterfly. They're very much cocooning right now. They're becoming a who they are. They're discovering their own beliefs, who they are as these independent creatures separate from us. And sometimes they feel a need to kind of go into their cocoon a little bit, to isolate a bit, to try and discover who they are, explore new interests, maybe do the teenage form of play, which can be journaling or singing or writing songs or drawing or doodling. So if they're doing these types of endeavors in isolation, that's fine. I would encourage you, though, occasionally to go in and spend time with them in their rooms, as opposed to always nagging them to come out. Um, yes, you do want your child to come out of their room and emerge and participate, particularly at family meal times or if there's going to be an activity you're going to all do together. But also recognize that periods of adolescence wanting to be in kind of a bit of a cocoon is normal. So don't start making that a big issue between you and your teen. You might want to find other ways in which to connect with your teen. Think about what engages your child. Is it music? Is it art? Is it photography? It might be video games. Yes, I know parents aren't like always thrilled to go into video game land with their child, but if that's what really engages your child, well, go ahead and join in. Tell them about this game. How does it work? Okay, let me try and learn to play this with you. Have your child engage with you, teach you how to play the game. If your child loves music, Play some of your favorite songs that you loved listening to when you were a teenager. They might find that you had a decent taste in music back then. Maybe they still enjoy the taste of music you have currently. Find ways to engage with your child based around their interests. That can be a great way to kind of continue to um, connect with them during this difficult time. In terms of speaking about your child's mental health, I've already dealt with isolation. You also might see your child right now using a lot of distractions like screens and, you know, that might sometimes cause an issue between you and your teenager. It's important not to villainize and make the screen the, the issue. If your child is really, really spending a lot of time on screens right now, it's not the screen's fault. It's communicating that there's something else going on for your child. So first and foremost, normalize that, yeah, you know, I'm using screens a lot more than I normally would also. It can be, you know, nice to have a distraction, but it's also good to take a break and to kind of talk your child through, you know, 
spending all day long in your room on a screen may not be the healthiest thing. And it's not the healthiest thing for your brain. How do you feel afterwards? Yeah, I don't feel great either. So let's figure out some ways that we can create some breaks in the day where you're not on screens and then brainstorm with them ways that they can do things that are not involving a screen. But also, like I said, normalize it. Yeah, I'm on the screens a lot right now too. That's how I'm doing my work. That's how you're doing your school. That's sometimes how I'm entertaining myself by watching movies or on social media. That's that's normal to a certain extent, but we all have to watch ourselves so we don't get into an unhealthy pattern. It's fine to encourage your child to continue, and I would encourage you to have them continue to engage with friends virtually. It's really hard for kids who are very social to suddenly be cut off from their peers. So encouraging them to reach out to them virtually, setting up uh, FaceTime chats with their friends so they can connect and don't feel quite so isolated from their peers is a good idea also. Hey there, parents. Are you tired of feeling like your kids are in charge at home, negotiating, demanding, and generally calling all the shots? Well, then I have a free resource for you called 10 Steps to Get Back in Charge of Your Kids. Just click the link below to download your own copy. Let's get you back in the driver's seat. You also want to kind of chat with your child and encourage them to talk about, okay, what are you going to do when we can go out again? What do you want to do this summer? What are some plans you have for next year? Gosh, once we can get together with friends, what kind of things do you want to plan? Help your child continue to be future focused. Talking about mental health, some a sign of depression is a person who's not very focused on the future, who may not have the ability to even think of what they want to do in the future because they're really consumed by depression. So if your child's not able to think about the future, plan for the future, kind of think about, you know, things to get excited about, that could be a sign that your child might be falling into a degree of depression. It might be worth um, putting in a call to maybe your pediatrician and chatting with your child and your pediatrician about if there's something going on there that looks like depression. Also, remember that our children, our teenage children, need to feel loved and cherished and dear to us. Sometimes these children present, I often call them like porcupines, a little prickly. It's not as easy and to you know, hug a porcupine when you're getting a lot of negative energy, maybe some talk back, maybe some rolled eyes. You're not getting this cuddly, sweet, endearing young child they once were, but that's still who they are inside. So remember, just kind of go over, imagine that the behaviors are not there and try to continue to reach out, keep your child connected to you. That's our job. It's not their job to seek us out. We need to continue to offer ourselves in connection with us. When tension's really high with our children, sometimes we get lost and we start to engage in a lot of negative banter. It's better to take a break and not do harm to our relationship and ensure your child, your teenage child, that your relationship's going to be okay. And then somehow find a way to kind of build a bridge to the next point when, you know, we need a little time apart right now. I could see you need your space. I'm looking forward to having dinner with you tonight. Or, you know, we talked about taking that walk later. I'm really looking forward to that. Give yourself some time to calm down and re-engage later when maybe tensions are not so high. Uh, my last question that I'm going to answer today came from listener Lauren. She said, as the mom of an infant, I'd love some basic thoughts on how I can set myself up for success as we head towards toddler time. My little one already has very strong feelings and clear opinions about things. I often have been invited to speak to a parent of newborn group in the Seattle area. It's called PEPS. And this group 
is for parents who have children within kind of two, three months of each other to meet over a 12 week period weekly. And some of the groups are moms only and some of the groups are for moms and dads or couples. And at these groups, I've been able to present on this very topic. And I talk a lot about basically the stages of attachment in earlier podcast episodes. And when you think about the first year of life, the most important thing you should be doing is setting up the foundation of a secure attachment with your baby. That's really what the first year should be all focused around. I talked about Dr. Neufeld's six stage of, stages of attachment in my uh, episode, Developing a Deep Connection with Your Child. And the first year of life, he labels that stage as proximity. So think about how a baby, how an infant connects to us. It is through eye contact. It's through the senses. It's through being held. And so that's what we're talking about when we're talking about building that secure attachment. So the way in which you can build a secure attachment, other than just thinking about the senses and connecting through the senses, is to make sure that you are consistently responding to your baby's cues. That is going to build trust in your baby, in your infant, that you are there to meet your child's needs and to be the primary nurturer. Dr. Dan Siegel, uh, he's written many books. He's a prolific writer and he's a clinical uh, psychiatrist based out of UCLA School of Medicine. And uh, one of his books, The Whole Brain Child, he states that the key to a secure attachment with your baby is ensuring that they feel the four S's, safe, secure, seen, and soothed. So if you think about those ideas, safe, secure, seen, and soothed, Soothing is the one I wanted to focus on here for a second. A lot of times parents think that your goal with an infant is getting them to stop crying. And that soothing is really about stopping the crying. And that can be confusing when you have a child, maybe that's fussy. Lauren describes her little one as having strong feelings. So I'm assuming that that's coming with probably a, a good amount of crying. Soothing does not necessarily mean that you need to stop the crying. It just means that you need to be present and responsive to your child when they are crying, when they need soothing. It does not mean necessarily that you need to stop the crying, but certainly you don't wanna leave your child crying for long periods of time. We can't always respond the second they start crying. You might be in the middle of something. You might have other children. You might um, be in a shower. Uh, there, there's times when we can't always immediately address our child's needs in a second, but we're going for consistency and as much as possible does not have to be every single time your child is crying, that you're responding to them, but they need to know with pretty good consistency that you're going to be meeting their needs so that trust can be built, that secure attachment can be built. So when you think about proximity, when you think about senses, when you think about the four S's, think about things you can do that are very nurturing and connecting. Certainly when you're feeding your baby, whether you're nursing or bottle feeding, make sure that that includes eye contact. A lot of times, you know, nursing or bottle feeding happens often and can be sometimes less than interesting to us. And we tend to sometimes, you know, zone out on our phone or watch a TV program. Make sure that at least some of the time, particularly if your child is very alert, 
that you're feeding your child with eye contact, with your focus is on them. That's very bonding time with your child. So make sure that at least most of the time or much of the time that feeding includes eye contact being held. When babies get a little bit more able to, you know, hold their own bottles, sometimes there's a real temptation to, oh, I could just prop my baby over here. You know, baby can hold um, their own bottle and I can kind of walk away and do something else. Sure, that's fine once in a while, but you do want to take advantage of the times that you're feeding your child to hold them, even if they can hold the bottle themselves. That closeness, that eye contact, that nurturing that happens can be very, very um, good in terms of deepening that secure attachment. Other ways in which you can um, include gentle touch for the senses, again, to be kind of really utilized during that first year of life, massage, bathing, taking baths together, playing games where there's a lot of eye contact and facial expression. It's important also with your baby, you're getting to know one another, you're getting to make sense of your child and you're getting to learn to decode their cues. So starting to decode your baby's behaviors before they're able to speak for themselves can be tricky. You don't always know, but there are some really basic primary cues that babies often give out. And learning what those cues are so you can respond to your baby with consistency can really, really help in terms of meeting the goal of building that secure attachment. So one common thing a baby's trying to communicate, I'm hungry. So what are your baby's cues for that? It can be um, rooting, especially if you have a very young child, smacking their lips, sucking on their fists, sucking on anything they can get their hands on, often crying if they're hungry. Uh, sometimes after waking, it will be kind of like a whiny kind of cry, but if you're not responding soon enough and they're really hungry, it will become louder and more intense. Another common uh, baby cue is I'm tired. And so what does I'm tired look like for your baby? Learn your baby's cues. What does your baby look like when they're tired? It might look like they start to lose interest in activities and things that they were doing. They start maybe not making as eye contact as much as they do when they're very alert. Their body becomes a little bit more still and quiet. They might rub their eyes and their ears. They might start to yawn or they might start to cry, but this typically sounds a bit more like a fuss than an all out hunger or pain cry. Another common baby cue, being overstimulated. So for your baby, this might look like um, similar to a baby becoming tired, but in this case, you know they're not tired, they're just overstimulated, there's too much going on. It might look like gaze aversion. They start looking away because they're overstimulated, too much for them to focus on. They might start having sharp jerked movements with their body. They also might start to yawn. That's kind of a self-soothing thing that baby do, babies do without really even realizing it when they become overstimulated. They might also start hiccuping. Another thing that you don't necessarily connect with something like being overstimulated, but again, similar to the yawning, hiccuping, that kind of rhythmic pattern, sometimes it's something that baby's systems kind of do when they're becoming dysregulated. The hiccuping is something that your body kind of puts into motion to kind of help regulate when they become overstimulated. Another baby cue, I want to play or I want to connect. When your baby is trying to send a cues to you, they really want to connect or play with you, you'll have a lot of eye contact, wide, bright eyes. Their heads will track you wherever you're moving, trying to get your attention. You'll see, of course, a lot of smiling, cooing, and 
like I said, their gaze will follow you around the room. They will not let you out of their sight when they really want to play and connect with you. And then a fifth real common baby cue, I'm uncomfortable. And this will look oftentimes like an arching back and a cry. And this is a different kind of cry. It's a sharp, sudden and continuous cry. If they're uncomfortable, maybe they got hurt or maybe they're having gas pain, but those are some cues. So learning to respond to your baby's cues and make sense of them and respond to them is huge in terms of your child feeling the beginning foundation of that strong attachment building. In terms of, you know, babies, young children and babies and infants, oh my gosh, they have so many needs and they are sending out these bids for connection all day long. And it can be overwhelming, particularly if you have a child who's maybe a bit more intense or a baby who's a bit more intense. Know that the goal here is to meet those bids for connection, to kind of address your child's need for attention and try and hit it as often as you can. But it, it, if you're getting there at least a third of the time, that's enough to build a strong base of connection with your child that we all want. And there's a lot more you can be thinking about going into the toddler years. I really encourage you to go back and listen to my um, one of my first episodes. I believe it is episode uh, two, where I talk about, actually, I think it's episode three, where I talk about building that strong foundation through a deep connection with your child. And there's a lot more information in that podcast I encourage you to listen to. All right, that's it for today. If you have questions you want to have me answer in a future podcast, please send them my way. You can find my information on the3dparent.com. Thanks so much. Take care. Thank you so much for tuning in this week to the 3D Parent Podcast. I hope it has provided you with the inspiration you need for building stronger relationships with your children and trusting your instincts when it comes to parenting. If you have a parenting question you'd like answered on the podcast, or if you'd like one-on-one -on -one parent coaching, head over to the3dparent.com and click the contact tab to send me your question. If today's discussion empowered your parenting, please be sure to subscribe to the show, leave a rating and a review. Also, I'd love to connect with you on social media. So take a screenshot, share it on your Instagram stories, and tag me at The3DParent. I look forward to meeting you here again next week on The3D Parent Podcast.